Hi, and welcome to Lolly Secrets, where we will be working on aligning expectations with reality with a key focus on self-development, relationships, hustle, and the Christian faith. I'm Lolly, your host, and thank you for joining the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to enjoy more content. So today on the podcast, we will be focusing on the hustle and what it takes to become a successful interior designer. My guest today has seven years experience in the industry and has transformed a range of projects from offices to terrace houses to an auditorium and now a luxury apartment hotel. Her name is Shokwe Okpayemi and she's the owner and principal designer of Niffy Design Studio. Shokwe will be taking us on her journey of becoming a successful interior designer. I hope you enjoy the show. Shakwe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about how you decided that interior designing was what you wanted to do. Okay, so all my life, I've actually liked art and designing spaces. I actually thought I would study architecture, but then I realized I was good in science. So I kind of went the whole, oh, I'm going to be a doctor thing. And then when I came back to Nigeria the first time, I worked in a hospital and I realized I didn't like hospitals. (laughs) Why? Why didn't you like hospitals? (laughs) I didn't like the sad. It just had this gloom and doom feel. And, you know, you have to make sure, like, you're safe because people come there with all kinds of diseases. And you have to try to, like, comfort them. And everything just seemed like it was just one sad story. And so for me, it was like, okay, I'm good in science, but is science good for me? So I kind of was like, okay, I have to decide if I really want to go because I went to school in the U.S. So you don't automatically go to med school. You have to do an undergrad, then you go to med school. So I was like, am I going to apply and do this? And then realize that I didn't want a situation where I would go to med school, finish, they pay for this really expensive education, and then I would come out and then not do it. Because that would be a waste of money. And at the same time, a waste of my time because I'd spend four to eight years doing this and then come out and be like, yeah, I'm not happy. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And then go back and maybe eventually do interior design. So with that, I had like this whole crisis, like crossroads where I was thinking to myself, now what do I like? So sitting there with my family and everybody was like, you like interior design, you like architecture. Why don't you do that? And I'm like, but I'm coming from a science background. How do I merge interior design into what I want to do now? And I know I want to go to school for it. I don't just want to be one of those people that come out and I'm like, yeah, I do this because I'm good at it. I want a degree. So I started looking into schools that how do I merge this without having to go back and doing a full bachelor's again. And then I found a program that basically takes your bachelor's, like your electives, and then transfers it to this program where you only do the foundational courses. So instead of a typical master's that's two years, I ended up spending three years in school because the first year was all about foundation. Mm -hmm. And then the last two years was about actual master's. Mm -hmm. So that's how I switched. It's something similar to what my own dad is doing. So in the end, it's a win-win for everybody because I can help out and at the same time still do my own thing. So that's why it ended up working out. In the beginning, it was a little shaky. Everybody was like, so what are you actually doing? How are you going to make money from this? And that can be Who a actually hires people? As well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
and who actually hires people to do things like this. And because Nigeria, you know, we're still up and coming in the sense of people realizing that there are different roles for people to play in different areas. There's actually a service. There's actually a need yes. for things like this yes. as well. Yes. Yeah. So because we're just beginning to get to that area, there are not a lot of trained interior designers. There are a lot of trained architects who fell into it because they realized that their clients needed. And it's not just that as well. I think also there's also a budding, well, more than budding now, but at that time there was a budding middle class. Yes, yes. And obviously the upper class as well. And then obviously Instagram. Mm. Everybody doesn't realize that they go on Instagram, they see beautiful houses and they're like, how do I get this in Nigeria? How do I get this in my own house? It's not mm. only for people that live abroad that can have these beautiful houses. How do I get it here? And that's where interior designers yeah. come in because the architect would design for you with the aesthetic of the outside, whereby the interior designer will design for you with how you're going to live and enjoy your house from the inside. Mm. So I've been to a lot of houses in Nigeria where, you know, the outside is beautiful. You're like, wow. And then you enter, you're like, oh. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And then the kitchen is tiny and the living room is massive. Light, and then like... And then the finish is like, horrible. And, yes, oh. and you're like, it's beautiful on the outside. And when you see it, you'd be like, oh, these people have so much money. They have, they have taste. They're going to, you know, mm. and then you enter and you're like... And it's hideous. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, and then everybody kept writing all these articles online saying architecture is dead. There's a lot more renovation. And with renovation, you don't need an architect. You actually need an interior designer. Yeah. So it made more sense for me to go in the line that eventually Nigeria will get to where people are not building new houses. They're renovating what they have mm. to something else or reusing or repurposing. So that's why I chose interior design in the first place. Because I was like, I could do architecture. But then what happens when everybody's doing interior design and I don't know anything about fabric or textile or all that? Because it's not something they cover in architecture school. So when you then finished your your master's and, you know, you realize, you know, you're finally now, you've transitioned into a course that you want to do. You know, you kind of have that spark now. You're, you, you can yes. see yourself moving yes. towards that you know, that drive to do what you want to do. And you can see yourself now pushing towards that goal. Um, what was the next step? So the next step was then figuring out what's my niche. Mm. Because part of being like going to school in the U.S. is everybody has a specialty. It's not like Nigeria where everybody does everything, you know, because the market's small here and everybody has to like kind of hustle their way to try and get into it mm. over there you all have a niche mm. you either choose like hospitality or you choose residential or you mm. choose commercial you don't do everything mm. and most times when you apply to firms the firms don't do everything okay so you have to like figure out where you want to be mm-hmm. And where you think there's going to be jobs and projects. Yeah. So that it, for me... It also would, depends on the location you're at as well. Because depending on the yeah. city, depending on wherever you yeah. are, would also yeah. determine that, wouldn't it? Yes. And, you know, everybody wants to be on big projects. Everybody wants to be traveling for their work. And everybody wants to do all that. So for me, I, I kind of like hospitality a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that I'm like, okay, I like to go to hotels. Well, I think it stems from me liking to travel. <laughs> so... When I go, when I travel, I like to go to the nicest hotels. I like mm. to see the nice things. And a woman after my own heart, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I was like, why can't I design mm. these nice things? And then it started, it stemmed from the fact that people were asking, so where are the nice places to go in Nigeria? And I'm like, 
<laughs> we don't have that many. Mm. And then it kind of spurred me to be like, okay, how about we develop these things in Nigeria without mm. people that are do- building hotels, bringing the architects and the interior designers from abroad. Why can't we have them in Nigeria? So that's why I chose my niche. I chose hospitality. And hospitality kind of covers a large range of things. It has restaurants, it has hotel rooms, it has residences, it has conference rooms, it has lobbies, yep. it has it's huge. It so is. I've not limited myself to only offices. I can yep. do offices. I've not limited myself to only residential. It's also in there. I've not limited myself to only restaurants and things like that. It's all there. Mm-hmm. So not I wasn't trying to box myself in. So with that, I had like a huge range of things I could do. And it just kind of helped me decide that, okay, this is where I want to be. Yeah. And either way, if I work for a residential firm or I work for a commercial firm, I can fit in. Yeah. That makes so that's, all kinds yeah. of sense. Yeah. That's Try not to waste money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because I actually had people like in my class that were doing solely planes and yachts. Oh no. That was hers. That's way too and, niche. Well, yes, not necessarily. But, I mean, each to their own, I guess, but yes, but she, that was what she felt like. That was her area and the mm. airports and docks. That was what she wanted to do. And I just thought if I limit myself to that, how many jobs no, are you really going to get? Yes. And even then it's so limited that, and then, you know, because it's so niche. And if yes, there's, if there's many of you in there, there's not many jobs. I mean, you're fighting mm-hmm. for your life. You know? Yes. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Pretty much. <laughs> mm-hmm. You need to get as much as you can when you can, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I completely That's how understand. I felt. But that means that you wouldn't really necessarily do um, residential. However, I've seen that you've done some residential. <laughs> so our first tip on becoming an interior designer. So if you're new to becoming an interior designer, let's say you've just come out of college and this is the first thing you want to do, or let's say you've had a career before and you're looking to switch into this. If it's something that you're considering strongly, we always recommend that you look at something like, I don't know, work experience. Like I know when I wanted to do hospitality, I wanted to study hospitality and my parents didn't consider hospitality to be an actual degree. They were like, that's that's nothing. That's not a real thing. They wanted me to study business administration and human resource management. That was a solid degree, granted, but that's not what I wanted to do. I was insistent on hospitality. So what I did decided to do was when I was in uni and also, you know, on my summer holidays, I decided to go work in the industry. So work experience is critical for trying to understand if it's even something that you want to do. So it's important that, you know, you research the niche that or the industry that you want to go into, but also go into the work environment and see if it's something that you actually would want to do day in, day out. Like if this is going to be your bread and butter or something that you're actually going to do, make sure it's something that you really, really want to go in and do and spend your whole day doing, okay? It's really critical that you do that because don't let anyone pressure you into doing something you don't want to do, honestly. It's like, life's too short. All right, that's my first tip of the day. So do you have some some pet projects every so often that you say, okay, this I'm going to, you know, just just because I know that I have some passion projects and I'm just going to do them every so often? Or how does that work? It's more the clients. Mm. One thing I have to clarify, like 
back home, like Nigeria here, it's about who you get as a job because the jobs are really far and wide mm-hmm. and you can't be picky a lot yeah, because you don't know you get jobs what, based on like, referrals. Yeah. If, so you have to put your all for someone and then exactly. hope that the person will tell <laughs> someone else or they come there. Like people come there and see your work and be like, wow, who did this? And they'll be like, oh, this, this so-and-so person, call her. Yeah. So you can't really say no unless like you and the client just don't work out. Mm. And that's fine because I've had to like tell some clients I can't work for you, even though the money was huge, mm-hmm. but they just, we didn't gel. Yeah. It was just a case of, I would end up feeling like I was emotionally abused or just yeah. uncomfortable. It, yeah. So there's some like that that I just couldn't work with or some that just don't pay. Yeah. And then you've done all this work and then you're asking for your pay and they're like, what did you even do? Yeah, I would say these are some of those common traps, right? For the entrepreneurs in these in the interior designing industry in Nigeria, right? Yes. And when you start out, all you need is one client and one job Mm -hmm. to put you out there. Yeah. And if nobody takes a chance on you in the first place, then you're just an interior designer looking for work. Yeah. And if nobody can say, oh, this is what you've done. This is what I've seen. Mm. They don't take you seriously. They'd be like, so what have you done? It's one thing to sit in front of your computer and design a way. It's another thing for someone to actually see something that you've done. Yes, the built work. So sometimes the pet projects are actually the ones that put you on the map. And which most times is residential. And it's not just about designing, is it? Because you also have to source. You also have to, you know create relationships and uh, build mm-hmm. relationships you have to from what i've gathered you also have to build those relationships with the workmen that actually yes, have to do yeah, the, the work artisans. exactly yes, yes. tell me a little bit more about the artisans and, oh. and the relationships there <laughs> oh lord that is a love hate relationship <laughs> how do you get that going because i know that i've seen you do some of your work there in nigeria and i know that you have found a way from the years that you've been doing this i mean how many years have you been doing this so far just uh seven seven years now in nigeria yes. and you've been yeah. doing quite a steady good job now so yes and you've been able i mean I know that, you know, some artisans come and go because some of them, oh, Lord, yes. I mean, you have some that they're stable for like three, four years and you're like, oh, what a great guy. And then all of a sudden they, they mess up. Yeah. And then you're like, how you've been so good. Why all of a sudden? And then sometimes you have some that are still great from day one till now. And then yes. you obviously have some that they come today and you're like, this guy's not even going to last the week. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but my question to you is. How do you know a good, a steady one? Or how do you keep, how do you get a good one and keep them going and have one that will work on a project and keep them incentivized and keep them steady on a project? That's what I want to talk about. Because that's a really important thing to to understand in the industry. So a lot of times they have to know you as a person. So in the beginning, they would, obviously they want the job. So they'd be on their best behavior. And they'll say anything and do anything, right? And, yeah. <laughs> And they'll quote like low or quote high or whatever and tell you they're going to use the best product and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And then they'll deliver on the first project. Mm. They always do because they want you to know they can do the work. Mm. And then come the second project, you're like, oh, I worked well with that person, you know. Let's try him again. (laughs) Let's try him again. And then they start to cut corners Mm. or they they start to take me for granted. And then smart. Yeah. And then you're, you're there and you're like, 
I'm smarter than you because I already preempted that you are going to do this. And then you don't want a situation where they start the job halfway, they have, you've paid them a percentage and then they leave mm. because who's going to bear the cost for that? Mm. So it's a case of you have to keep like pampering them. You have to be like, oh, your work is nice. But then when your work is not nice, ah. Oh, I don't like it, but then you don't want to yell all the time. You don't want to shout. You don't want to, you know, do all those things and then have a situation where they just up and leave you because I've actually had that happen to me where the guy left, took my money and didn't pick my calls. So how do you do it? So let's, let's take it from the start. You poach them most times. You go, you see a job that they did well, and then you ask the person that they did the job for, who did this? And they'll tell you, oh, so-and-so, I'll give you his number. Yeah, so it's based on recommendation, really. Yes, yes. And based on people saying, oh, they worked well with this person. Or Another aspect is you kind of need someone to vouch for them. Mm. Because it's one thing to just hire someone and they take your money and run. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to hire them and then you don't even know if they're actually good at what they do. Yeah. So you most times you get them through people. Yeah. And then when they come, you give them something small. Yeah. Maybe let's use the plumber, for example. Okay. Renovation of a small bathroom mm-hmm. instead of a whole house. Yeah. Let's see how he does there. Yeah. Then... And he you works. always have multiple jobs at a go anyway. So you have all kinds yes. of things to see and test and see yeah. what their mm-hmm. skill level is at. Yes. And then they they have to be able to be readily available. You don't want someone that just, when you call, they're like, oh, I'm five hours away. That doesn't help me. Mm-hmm. So someone... So you're testing on different things. You're testing yes. on not like their skill level. You're testing mm-hmm. on, you know, their availability. Yes. Are you also testing on their trustworthiness? Yeah. So they will charge you different based on different projects. Yeah. So someone that's steadily priced, mm-hmm. not someone that today is going to be like, oh, we're doing a project, a high end project. And he's going to come and tell you because it's high end. I'm doing it. They'll tell you, OK, it's one million. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, if they were doing the same project in a lower mid range project, they will tell you it's maybe 50K. And you'd be like, how did you come about your pricing? They'll be like, oh, you know, the location, they have money. No, that does not make any sense because I work that I'm still going to work regardless of whether or not I'm working in a mid-range location or I'm working in a high-end location. The only difference, what makes high-end is the materials used, not the service. So coming and saying, oh, I fixed a gold toilet, so I'm going to charge you $50,000 to fix a gold toilet when you fix a regular toilet for $50. There isn't anything new you're doing to the toilet, so cut it out. Yeah, so um, that's how I kind of eliminate artisans because they had this thing where they'd be like, oh, this place, they obviously, you know, doing all this work, they have money. doesn't change things. Yeah, no, I get you. So that's how, like, I try to pick artisans. And then also skill level, like how neat your work is. Yeah. There's some people that are just rough. Mm. For Nigeria, we build with cement. A lot of people don't build with drywall, which they do in Western nations. So it's easy for you to take a saw and cut the drywall and do your work and patch it up. Here, they'll break the cement, not neatly, Mm -hmm. patch it 
not neatly mm-hmm. and then leave it there for you to live with your wobbly walls yeah. and then you'd be like this does not look good yeah. in any way shape or form mm-hmm. how do you think i will accept this mm-hmm. but that's also what the client is paying for yeah someone to come and tell them this is unacceptable mm. because a lot of times people in nigeria think they can do it all yeah that all i need to do is know a carpenter is it not just to fix a door yeah is it not just to fix it this and then you get that the door is not straight. <laughs> but they don't see it because they're not looking from that perspective. Yeah. And then you get there and you're like, your door is like hanging. Yeah. Why is this? And they'll tell you, oh, the guy did a good job. And then you point out the obvious flaws and they'd be like, oh, why didn't you say when I was doing it? I was not your interior designer. You didn't hire me. I'm your friend. <laughs> so obviously I'm telling you as a friend, but if I worked for you, I would have told them Exactly. To the you door. need to pay me for my services. <laughs> yes. So... Oh, no Lord. more free work. I told myself <laughs> that. I'm not doing free work anymore. That's how that's how people value you though. That's how people yes. value you. And it's it's important. It's important. Fair so. play to you. Fair play to you. Mm-hmm. But I really love that, you know, that's so important, that understanding the artisans and, you know. Oh, because the artisans will make or, or break, break you. Oh, yes. Because so you can think to yourself, oh, I can deliver this project in four weeks. And then two out of the four weeks, your artisan doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. Then you have to go back to your clients and be like making excuses and saying, I'm very sorry. I really thought I could finish in four weeks, but you know, the plumber that I wanted to use just came and he's saying he's going to need an additional two weeks. And then the client's like, you didn't know that before you told me four weeks. Oops. And that's on me. And it's managing people ultimately, you know? Yes. Basically managing people because at that point you're like, that's on me. And it's a lot of things to juggle. It is a lot of things to juggle. Mm-hmm. So what other ways do you incentivize your artisans? Because I know that, yes, you know, you're, you're looking at all these things and, you know, watching for their skill level and watching for all these things. But you kind of have to keep them incentivized for a period of time and money isn't enough, to be honest. So what other ways do you keep them incentivized? Sometimes it's literally just buying them lunch. Mm-hmm. Yes, that goes or, a long way. Yeah. You know, they, they come to you with their problems and tell you oh my wife this and this and then maybe they require new clothes for their babies you buy clothes just and them knowing that you care to that level is you know it really touches their hearts yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. or the situation where you know i had an accident that his son died and he had to go back home to bury his child Mm. but i had a deadline of two days jeez and obviously he can't work because he's just lost a child his mind isn't there of course not yes he's not even if he was going to stay for the money he can't do the work no he wouldn't even do it well there's no point so i had to call his tell him go home but then i sent him with money and told him take all the time you need Mm. but lucky for me he left his boys Mm. on the site so obviously i was like how do i incentivize these guys because obviously the guy has taken the money he paid them to go and bury his child Mm. so i had to take money from my pocket again Mm. and give it to them and be like please finish my work Mm. I know that your boss has gone to bury his child and I feel for him. Mm. But at this point, I need to finish this job. Can you do it? Mm. So because they saw that I was sympathetic to their boss Mm. and at the same time, I incentivized them with money. Mm -hmm. They finished that job in a day. Wow. So I was like, so you guys can work in a day? (laughs) Like how? how? You guys can do this? I didn't see this before. And they were like, well, you know, we work under him, so we work at the pace he sets for us. Mm. But then now we're working under you. And then another thing, you being there. Mm. So sometimes I can be on the site till 7, 8 
out. Mm. Them seeing me here means that she's still at work. Mm-hmm. What's my excuse mm. for going home at five or four? Yep. She's still standing here going around, going up and down, and checking on our work. Mm-hmm. If she's still here, not at in her house, what's my excuse to go home? Like, you could be out doing something else. I mean, if you're, yeah. you're sourcing for something, as far as they're concerned, if you're not on she's site, not you're faffing yeah. about doing something else. Mm-hmm. I could be sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. So you could come to site at 12 noon and see them sleeping, and you'd be like, why are you sleeping? And they'd be like, well, uh, I'm on break. I'm like, since when? Mm. They'd be like, 10. And you're like, it's noon. Mm. They'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to work now. And then when you get there, there's a buzz mm. that everybody's doing something because you're like, oh, she's here now. Oh, yeah. So I try to stay on the site as long as I can mm. so that they can get as much work done as possible. Because the minute I leave, they're all going to wash their hands and be like, okay, when she comes tomorrow, we'll pick it up. Yeah. Those are some long days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it gets the job done. Yes, yeah, sometimes you just have to sacrifice your time to get something done because you can't just leave them and be like, oh, I know they'll do the job and then go. They won't. They'll do half of it and tell you, oh, we're waiting or, oh, we're hungry. or they. There's always something. Do I, Or I start to tell them, do you want me to do it for you? Hmm. And then they look at me and like, no. You're a woman. That's the beauty about some of these things. If you know how to do something yes. and they don't believe you and then you show them, they're like, oh, snap. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, I know this work. Don't get it twisted. I know yes. this work. Just because I have other things doing doesn't mean I don't know this work. Believe you yes. me. And sometimes they enjoy learning from a project because I've actually had like two or three projects where I brought in new ideas mm. that the artisans had never done. And when we were done, they were like, it's not even about the money. It's about what I learned. Because now I can go and tell someone else, I know how to do X, Y, Z. Which was something they didn't know how to do because I would teach them. Like, it goes even as far as, like, bringing out YouTube videos and being Mm. like, this is how they do it. Watch the video. Mm. Learn. Mm. Because there's not a lot of opportunity to learn. So there are times when they do things for you the way they know how to. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, I don't like it. This is not what I wanted. Which is waste of material, waste of time, waste of everything. So I'm like, do a small patch. Let me see what you're going to do there. Mm. Before we waste all the client's money. And then we get to the point where we're like, we have to do it all over again. Who's paying for that time? Who's paying for that? So a lot of times I'm there physically when they're going to do something. I'm correcting when I can. I'm teaching. So there's a lot of back and forth. That's why I said it's a love-hate relationship. You can't yeah. do something <laughs> once and just be like, oh, I, I've walked him through it. He can do it. Yeah. And then go away. No, no, no. You get there, he'll do the same thing he did the last time before you corrected him. And sometimes you kind of have to show them and then show them again and then be like, okay, well, now you do this part and then let's see it, you know, and it's, it's yeah, it really yeah. is back and forth. And But they love it once they've learned it, you know, there's that feeling of euphoria and you can see it in their yeah. eyes that they get really excited when they learn new stuff. You can always see yeah. it. And they have this passion for their work as well, you know, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And yes. those people like that, they always want to work with you again. Yeah. That's one thing like I've they seen. Call, like, they call me in the beginning of the year. And oh, yeah, they like, stalk you. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I haven't heard from you in a while. I'm like, it's not every day we build. <laughs> like, they keep calling. And then I'm like, I don't have new work. When they I do, like, I'll let you know. <laughs> yes. Or they see, they come to my office, they see me drawing on my computer, and they'd be like, I hope you're considering me for this work. And I'm like, we'll see. No. I don't know yet. <laughs> you know? So those kind of people, they keep coming back. They keep... Mm calling even to the point of annoyance where you're Mm. like nothing new 
Yeah. When I have something new, I'll let you know. But but I like people are, like that as well. Yeah. Because they also take correction as well when you when yeah. you do correct them. Because yeah. because they're so excited to work with you, you can then say, "Look, as much as I like your enthusiasm, you know, you didn't actually do hundred percent the last time. As much as I like you, yeah, mm-hmm. you were great, but not that great, honey. So yeah. if you want to work with me again, these are the things I still need you to improve on, and then they'll listen." Because yeah. they really do want to work with you. And then we get them to where we need them to be. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and then, then you get them. And, and then, then they're they, fully like, on your side by that point. You know what I mean? Yes. That's actually one of my goals this mm, year. Mm. To develop like a team. Yes. Of no, people that regardless team. of what job I'm doing, I can call them. And I Rain know that they're not going yeah. me- to mess me up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very hard to keep those kind of people. Because then they begin to think that they're gods on their own. Yeah. Because you, they know that you need them because you train them to the point where they can now command their people. own team as well. Yeah, their yeah. own thing. And then you're like, well, it's not hard. I'll train someone else. Because then you don't want those kind of people on your team because then they know that you need them at all costs. Well, the thing is, the idea behind that is to always train them, get them to train others. Yeah. And you know what they say? You don't train. You, you know, you don't have anyone. Nope. That's it. All right. Tip two of this episode is that managing people is so important to the job because as Shakba said in this section there is that your team will make or break you in this in this role in this job as an interior designer and you know you really your people skills need to really really hold you down so if you have been managing people in whatever you've been doing previously and even if I mean a lot of people are people oriented um, you already have to manage people on a daily basis but some people are better at it than others I'm coming from hospitality and I've been working in four and five star hotels across the board and I've worked in Nigeria I've worked in England and I've now worked in Ireland so I've worked in a few continents and a few countries and had to deal with multiple kinds of people now it doesn't mean I want to be an interior designer but I'm just letting you know that I'm a very people kind of person and I've had to manage people as well in my roles you know I was a reservations manager and I was also in hospitality consultancy as well and I've done HR as well so that kind of I've had to manage people in other roles in other jobs you will have to manage people um so if you're a people person and you have those transferable skills they will come in so handy when you're working as an interior designer you'll really have to learn how to be very personable and how to be very open to speaking to people and knowing how to work with others and how to get the job done and all that kind of stuff so knowing that is very important and knowing if that is something you want to do so make sure to keep that in mind okay let's keep on going so what do you absolutely love about the industry and what you do i think for me what i love okay so our industry is a very close-knit industry mm-hmm. because they're not many mm. like even abroad you kind of know every like in your city wherever you live you kind of know all the interior designers just mm. from like networking going to fairs going to meetings you join the associations that are there for you so that you're not out of the loop and then you kind of know everybody mm-hmm. and sometimes it leads to collaboration because mm. you cannot do everything. Like mm. I legit had to sit down and be like, I have projects, but no time 
what am I going to do? And then I know people that don't have enough projects because they don't know the people that I know. Mm. So You're blowing my mind. I was going to ask who you would like to collaborate with if you had a chance. So go on. So well, they don't know half the people that I know or they know more people than I know mm. and they don't have the time mm. and they need help. And, you know, there's a thing in Nigeria where everybody likes to keep all the profit for themselves. Yeah. I'm not th- I'm not of that opinion mm. because half profit is better than zero profit. Yeah. So I'd rather do a job really well, collaborate with someone who knows something that I don't know. Yeah. Or even brings fresh eyes into the project. Yeah. And then keep half, you take half. And then we all go away and we point at the project and said, we did this. I did this. As opposed to me trying to do everything and then ending up losing the client yeah. in its entirety. Because, you know, you might not get it done in time or, you know, it's not done fully, you know, to the standard that it should be or what have you. Yes, yeah. yes. So that for me is huge mm. because then I don't want a situation where I've lost a client, I've lost a potentially good job mm. because I wanted to be greedy. It's something that we have to wrestle with because when you have one client repeat, they end up being repeat customers. They mm. keep coming back. They'd be like, oh, I want to do my nursery or, oh, I want to do my office. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was thinking my guest bathroom, I don't like it anymore. They keep coming back. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people don't want to collaborate because if you give them one project, they can go behind your back or whoever you collaborated with can go behind your back and steal your clients. Yeah. So they don't ever want to collaborate. But then if you limit the interaction they have with the client, meaning that you are the one collecting all the money, you're the one directly interfacing with the client, there's no way for them to go back and poach your client. Yeah. But at the same time, if the client wants to go, then the client wasn't meant for you. Like yeah. it was, it's someone else's client now. And I don't try to hold on to everybody and be like, there's some I've done projects for that as soon as it was done, I was like, thank God. Hmm. I don't have to go back to see this person again. You know, I don't even understand. Like, why can't it be a situation where if the client came back, listen, the client came back, can't we do it again together? And you know. You see, the thing is, a lot of times people want to work with you in the beginning and then they realize, oh, crap, this girl is making this amount of money from one client. What's she going to do when she's make like from other clients, Mm. you know? And they'd be like, well, if this one client has all this money to spend, why isn't he my own client? So they go and they start to try to do underhanded things. Greed is a monster, I tell you. Mm -hmm. Mm. And then, or go to your vendors and start telling your vendors oh yeah she put me in charge don't work with her again because you know as interior designers foreign vendors want you to sell their products in nigeria so what they do is you go into a partnership with them and then you get a commission for every sale you make yeah and then you bring in someone under collaboration and then they go to those vendors and they're like oh yeah she put me in charge so don't sell to that person again so then they end up splitting the commission that should have come solely to you between maybe the other person now Hmm. but then there's some companies that are very strict and are like you know what this is who we know this is who has gotten us as much business as we want this is who we're going to keep working with don't come and like ruin the relationship because you come back and you're like okay if you could go with this person without even verifying from me then obviously you two are greedy. A lot of people think interior designers are pricey, but I can tell you we are not. If you give us your budget, we will work within your budget Mm. unless your budget does not speak to your taste. Mm. And it happens where some people have really expensive taste, but their budget is not expensive. Mm -hmm. And then that's when (laughs) we seem expensive. 
Significance of budgets in the process. Yep. Yep. So a lot of times you be, and we earn based on a percentage of your budget. I won't tell you the percentage because it varies, mm-hmm. but I would do work for you based on your percentage. So if you said you had $1 million to spend on your house, I would earn a percentage of that. Mm-hmm. I would not come back after I've spent $1 million and be like, so yeah, my fees. How are you paying me? No, no. So you've told me your entire budget. I like some clients whereby they give you the entire sum of money and are telling you, give me receipts, mm-hmm. how you spent my money. So that's when, you know, you send them invoice on your billing you send them invoice on what you bought, who you paid, because some people, they prefer that they don't handle anything mm-hmm. while some want to be there all the time. They want to know what yeah. you spent money I was on, say, how you spent it, where you spent it. You know, how involved should the client be in the project, really, in the process? It depends on the project. If it's a commercial project, I would say 50 percent. Mm-hmm. Because you can't know everything, you know, because even if it's a commercial project, you're going to have facility managers. You're going to have people that are running the thing. So there's some things you don't actually need to know. Mm-hmm. You need to know the overall concept. You need to know how you want the space to look, what you want it to feel like. That's why I say 50%. And then you need to know that your money is being used well mm-hmm. and your project is going on time. Okay. But you can't come to the site and be like, I don't like how this door looks. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you want it to look? Because if you change one door, you change all the doors. Yeah. So are we saying now that we're going back to the drawing board? Are you ready to spend more money because you've already made the decision that this store worked in the first place? Yeah, because those decisions would have been made early, no? Yep. Yeah. So you can't come back and be like trying to change your mind because at the same time, for every variation or change you make, it comes with cost. Mm. So that's why I say 50%. You come, you're like, oh, they're doing it well. And you kind of put the interior designers as custodians of your work. Mm. You told us what you want. We've agreed on what we're going to do. It's now left for us to tell the builder to do it well. Mm. So most times they just come in and they're like, oh, wow, the doors are in, the walls are in, oh, the ceiling, the lights, oh, great. And they go. They can't come into the project and be like, I don't like the ceiling. That should have been, the builder will tell you, that's not my problem. Mm. That's between you and the interior designer because I'm building what she said I should build. Mm. So if you didn't like it, go meet her. I'm going to keep working because this is my brief. This is what I've been told to do. Yeah. But when you get to residential, I would say 80% mm-hmm. because you want them to like yeah. their house. <laughs> They're living the day in, day out. You don't want them to be unhappy in their house. You don't want to be like, oh, I, I have this bright idea where, you know, I'm only going to put benches as couches in the whole house. But what if the client likes to veg out on their couch and sleep? Mm. But you put benches, no back, no nothing. How mm. does this work? If it's aesthetically pleasing, yes. But how does this work for the user? Mm. So I believe that residential has, it's kind of like a back and forth. You know, do you like it? Do you not like it? What don't you like? Tell me. So I don't make a mistake because there'll be, there'll be times when you would have a difference of opinion where they'd be like, oh, my favorite color is green. And you don't think green should be in anywhere in the house, but they're hell bent on putting it somewhere. So you find a space that is not going to compromise your entire job and put the green. Mm. You've compromised. Yeah. As opposed to painting the whole house green and then people will come and be like, who did it? And then she'd be like, oh, Shakai did it. And then I'm like, I'm not even claiming this job. So please don't call me. <laughs> don't <know>? call me. <laughs> so, so it's that 
kind of yeah so it's a case of you don't want them to hate you for imposing your ideas but at the same time you don't want them to hate their house mm. so it's like okay, you can be 80% involved because it's where you're going to sleep. At the end of the day, I will finish, I will clean, and I will go. Mm. You're the one that's going to live in this house for years. If you don't like it, you're going to blame me. You're going to be like, that thing you did, I don't like it. And then I've had clients that will call you back and be like, I don't like how this opens, or the tap is too slow, or this and this. And I'm like, okay, I'll come back and fix it. I'll come back and check it. I don't like to do it. But, but you'd rather they're happy than for them to complain about yes, it and have yes. that be that bone of contention that stops yeah. them from, from referring you yeah. to somebody else. Because yeah. obviously the name of the game is to get referrals. You, yeah, <laughs> you, you'll be like, oh, you finished the house. And they'll be like, let's just finish. Let's just finish. And yeah. then you finish and then they'll tell all their friends, oh, she's bad. She's not the best, you know. And then they start looking for someone else to do like minor jobs in the house that they could have called you for. Exactly. I don't like that. So now that we've looked at how involved a client should be in the project, we've covered, you know, so you've said if it's mm-hmm. commercial, it should be probably 50%. And if it's residential, mm-hmm. probably 80%. But then I would also say it also probably depends on the kind of client that you have as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. So my yeah. question for you then would be if you kind of rewind back to even getting the client in the beginning, how mm-hmm. would you then even decide if a client is even right for you to even begin with? Because being an interior designer, we all know that mm-hmm. it's all based on getting clients. Mm-hmm. Let's say you finally get a sit down, you've proposed something, what have you. How do you decide if a client is right for you? Okay, I guess it has to be be the client's commitment to the project Mm -hmm. like i let's list the reasons that could affect why if a client is right for you so okay so number one the budget number two is the size of the project when you say the budget do you mean if what what do you mean when you say the budget so okay so someone wants to build an entire house Mm -hmm. maybe the house is about 500 square meters which is huge and they tell you oh my entire budget for the whole house is 10 million naira Mm -hmm. And then you're like, that doesn't even cover the cement. (laughs) (laughs) So basically... Or the sand, or like... Reality and uh, expectations are not meeting. Yes, and then when you (laughs) say, okay, like, that's not going to work, you know, how much more can you add? And you say, five more. (laughs) And you're like... Ah, lordy. Uh, I don't want to compromise standard. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to compromise myself and my own integrity and say, I'll take the job and then do a crappy job for you. And then you're like, you know what? She's awful. She doesn't know what she's doing. Well, your budget's awful. But I decided to take the job because I need money. Mm -hmm. You realize you end up spending more of everything. And then you compromise yourself. Yeah, time, money. You end up dipping into your own pockets because you want it to be good. That's where the budget comes in. Then you have the size of the project. If it's a small project and the person is being unrealistic or saying, you know, or a big project and the person is like, I want this thing done in two months. Well, you have to be willing and ready to give me all the money to do the work in two months. I can mobilize people to finish it in two months if you work with me. Which is why I get to the client's commitment to the project. Mm. You have to want to, you have to want it because it's one thing for me to want it for you. 
but you too have to want it. Mm. So if I give you an invoice and I say this, I need to buy this today. You're not going to keep the invoice on your desk for two months and expect mm. me to work magic or miracles mm. when you haven't paid. Mm. I can't do that. Mm. So, and then you come and you're like, oh, the work is so slow. Yes, because the pay is slow. Mm-hmm. So if you're expecting me to do this with my own money, which some clients will tell you to do, <laughs> and then invoice them back. Are you serious? Does yeah. this happen often? Yeah. They'll tell you, they'll pay you 70% and tell you that you should have everything delivered before you get the balance. <laughs> so if you don't have any source of credit or you don't even have savings of your own or your business doesn't have it, then you're like, I don't know how I'm going to finish or you go borrow to finish the project, which if the client is the kind that pays on time, borrowing is not an issue. I'll borrow the money, I'll finish the project, and then I'll pay back my money to whoever I borrowed the money from. Would you say that that would be a trap in the landscape that you are in right now? Yes, it'll be a trap because like recently I finished a project and I went above and beyond. And the reason why I say I went above and beyond, I had finished the work. And then two weeks or three weeks later, he says he doesn't like one of the pieces of the furniture. And that's because he went to someone's office and saw something else Hmm. and liked theirs after we had come up with ours. Then I don't know what he did to the table, but all of a sudden the table was cracking and the table was scratching and there was this and this wrong with it. And so from the goodness of my heart, I change it. That's a whole new cost coming from my pocket. Hmm. I did it because, you know, I don't want to lose a client. This is also a client that I've had for years. Hmm. All of a sudden, like I'm having problems, you know? So I changed the table. He also complains about something else. I changed it. I changed like three things. But then one of the items was coming from China. And this item was taking forever because it was such a small piece of thing that the people from China were like, we need to be sending you a lot of stuff to send justice. That's a lot of money to air free one thing. So I told him like, you know, I'm having issues with my vendor from China and I'm trying to get the thing in as quickly as possible. I'm sorry. So it took about three months for that one thing to come in. And during that time, I didn't ask him for my balance because I'm like, you know what, let me finish and actually have it finished. And for him to be saying, yes, it's finished before I give him an invoice. And then he goes, yeah, I'm not paying you because you've not finished your work. I mean, that thing you're supposed to do, you've not done it. Mm -hmm. So I finished the work. And then he grumbles, grumbles, and is like, you know, you took you took your sweet time finishing the work. And then it was one of those times that I had traveled, and my assistant was the one that went to finish the work. Mm-hmm. And then he grumbled to my assistant and said, this pace at which she did the work is the pace I'm going to pay her. I said, okay, that is interesting. It was something that you added on that I'm paying for by myself. Mm-hmm. I could have billed him for it, mm-hmm. but I didn't because I said to myself, I just want this guy to be happy, mm-hmm. you know. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. I still have profits. I won't die. Mm -hmm. You know, let's just keep him happy. So I did that. And then he goes, no, 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 no. He's going to take his time paying me. And I kid you not. I finished this project three months now and he hasn't paid me. And I do not have his energy, but I know one way or the other, I will collect my money. Just right now, I don't have his time (laughs) to ask him for my money. But when I do, I will go there. But at the same time, I'm just like, that's one of the things, you know, or you finish job. Like you actually have so many clients that will rush and pay you to start the work and then dwaddle to pay you your balance. Mm. It happens every time. Then it ends up looking like I'm begging them for money. Meanwhile, it's work I've done. Mm. Amy, my money. I've actually had two clients that I, up till today, five years down the line, 
never paid me my balance. This sounds like some of the unethical practices yes. in the industry of some yep. of the clients. Yep. Because they know that these are you know things they can get away with. Yep. And this kind of, if we didn't have good behavior um, within us, I know that these are the things that some people who don't suffer fools easily... Mm-hmm. What they would end up doing is just put their full price in the yep. start. That's what a lot of people start yeah. to do now. Yeah, it happens in basically every industry. They want you to do the work and then they know they can hold you in tension hooks because they have your balance. Yeah. Because even I do it to my artisans. Mm. I don't pay them in full mm. because if you mess up, I don't have anything to hold you onto. Mm. So they use it to hold people. But then the difference is, when I'm done with the job, I pay my I pay my artisans, and then they go, and then I'm the one going back to ask my client for my balance because I've paid my own people in full for work that was completed. So, tip three today is going to be talking about a game. Now, this game is called Design Home, and it's an app that is on all platforms. It's on iOS and it's also on Android. Now, this game is highly addictive. I introduced it to some of my friends and they find it highly addictive. Even designers, interior designers find it addictive. So basically, it's a game that actually lets you design homes using real furniture and real, you know, wallpaper and real everything, basically. So I think it's a really nice tool to have for you to understand like budget for you to understand, you know, the size of the project, all these factors that Shopify has been talking about that are real major factors for interior designers um, when they're planning a project or trying to work on a project. So you should check out the app, Design Homes um, or Design Home. You should see it in your app store and have a look and it'll give you an idea of some of the challenges. So let's continue on with the rest of the show. And then there are just some clients that I've seen that have been creepy. Mm. I, I don't know if I should say that. Like they they came on like they would sexually harass me in the future. Oh, wow. Extremely alarming. Yes. I've actually had a client that basically said to me that, you know, I'm new in the industry and he knows a lot of people. And if I want as many jobs as I want that I you have to do the to, right thing. Yeah, it's a give and take. And I'm not I'm not the kind of person to do that because then you know like when people say, Oh, this girl's successful because she slept her way through so and so. I don't want to be that person. I would rather be with one client per year. If that's what it takes, yeah. Yeah. Than to have a hundred clients because I slept with a an influential person. So and then those people that would tell you to come to random places that are not public and say, oh, meet me here. That's not done. Mm-hmm. So I've actually rejected clients for that. Oh, yeah. Saying, I can't meet you at a hotel. Mm-hmm. I can't meet you at the site at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. That just leading to you wanting things to happen to you that you don't want. And then crying afterwards. I would just rather not be in that situation at all. So I don't even bother. I've actually had people in the industry tell me that if you really, really, really want to make you have to dress a certain way. You have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. Coming from the hospitality industry, I had the exact same problem. 
So I completely understand. <laughs> and they were like, you know, you see those people that are making it, you know, they're not making it like you have to be ready to pander, wear high heels, wear this, tight clothes. I'm like, I'm going to a site where I have to climb, probably climb scaffold. I'm going to wear a tight dress. How does that make me look? I do not look professional. Mm. Like, but they're like, you know, that's the only way that even if you don't wear it to the site, wear it to the project meetings in the office. But then that does not look good. And I've like had conversations with actual interior designers that tell me this. And I'm like, is this what you do? <laughs> <laughs> and then but, you things know, are you happening. Things are happening. But, yep. But then you don't want to be like, yeah, this is what I do. You know? I mean, you so don't want to judge kind of... them either. You're just like, okay, you do yes. you, boo. You do we, you. We, we, we. I'll That's do me. You know, each to their right? own. But just, I can't do it. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. So I kind of right now, you know, I tend to get a lot of older people clients, mm. meaning like people my parents' age or mm. people with older money. So I don't actually have a lot of young clients. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to get them, but you know, the older clients are more reliable and their money is actually more reliable. Yeah. But then you'll so, start to notice that you're going to start getting a lot of married couples now. Yeah. So I don't mind the age group of my clients, but the one thing that does for me is that it limits the kind of work I can do mm. because it's the young people that are willing to try things. The old yeah. people are set in their ways they are. and they're like, I want this. And do this. the old people are the ones who hold on to the balance as well. Yes, yes. And the whole tradition thing. I suppose you kind of have to pick your poison, don't you? Yeah. I'd rather be steadily paid than, than not. But the thing is, you know, I also have my own projects that I'm working on where I have creative license to do and not do. So those ones are where I use to showcase my work. So it's kind of like marketing myself with my own project and then hoping people see it and then love it. Mm. And I suppose those pet projects as well, you know, those times when you've had to do those, you know, remember when you mentioned about, you know, those people that say, oh, can you help me with these little projects here and there that you've had to do even when you didn't really yeah. want to? They've kind of been yeah. good to showcase things as well, which I think yeah. Yeah. is great because... Because they, they allow you to try things you haven't tried before. Exactly. And they, they, they actually take a chance on you because yeah. you could go for doing something and then it flops or it's great. Yeah. And they're fine with that because it really was just an experiment mm. And the outcome is what the outcome is, you know? Mm. So, and most times I haven't actually flopped yet, thank God. (laughs) But a lot of times it's those projects, the ones that I actually did as pet projects, Mm. or I begged them to do it and got little to no pay Mm. that get me the most jobs. Mm. Probably because I gave it my all and I just realized, you know, I'm not doing it for the pay. I'm doing it for me trying something new. I know, you know, you are an interior designer, but have you also thought about diversifying as well? Because I know that a lot of people also find it hard to source some... Materials, yeah. yeah. Yes, I actually have. But the thing is, furniture and interior design stuff are very capital intensive. Mm. And I'm not sure I want to tie my money mm. into it. So I've actually said to myself, I'm di- one thing I'm diversifying into is real estate. Mm. So I'm doing a lot of design and build developer homes, but then I'm taking it one step further mm-hmm. and 
And I'm basically offering my clients or the people that are buying my homes free interior design services. Mm. So I have a lot of times what happens is like developers build cookie cutter homes for people whereby they pick the tile for you. They pick the wall color. They pick the ceiling. They pick everything. And then they sell the house. Mm. And then a lot of times I've actually had clients that will hire me to gut the house Mm. and redo it. (laughs) which sounds counterproductive in the long run. And then you have a situation where you've just wasted materials. Mm. So what I want to do is I want a situation where I've built the house and when you buy the house, we finish it Mm. for you. And by finishing it, you get to pick the tile you want, Mm. the ceiling you Mm. want, the lighting you want to your taste. So you don't have to come back and do it twice. Mm. But then, you know, you have a range. So you have, high-end, mid-end, low-end, wherever your budget falls into, you you do it. Mm. Because what ends up happening is these people buy these houses for a huge amount of money and then still spend a huge amount of money redoing mm. it. Meanwhile, they could have done it right from the beginning. And that's how you buy houses abroad. You, when you buy the house, you pick the finishes before they finish building it and you finish it well. That's why they have design centers. They have places where you go and then you're like, oh, I like this tile. I don't like this. I want this. I don't want that. So when you enter someone's house on the same row, it's not the same inside. Mm. So that's kind of what I want to do and kind of debunk the whole, oh, when you buy real estate in Nigeria, it has to look like your neighbor's house. Mm. It could have a different configuration on the inside. What if it's a bachelor that has no intention of ever marrying and doesn't need five bedrooms. He could convert some to a game room, convert another one to a den or an office. Your house doesn't have to look like the next person's house, which is what I'm trying to get into now. But, you know, that also has its limitations because it also has to be profitable. Mm. And that's only possible if, you know, you make your own money and the people buying it feel like they're getting a saving. You don't want a situation where they buy the house and then they use crap materials for me and then they charge me all this money. So that's why I'm kind of looking into that aspect and trying to cut out the middleman of fixing things in the house and then coming back to gut the house again. Mm. That's a lot of time wasted. So that's why I said I'm trying to offer people those services included in the sale. You know, it's worth a shot. It's definitely inspiring. Yeah, so I've actually done the design for the buildings, you know, it's currently going through approval and then we build one first, use it as a show house and then sell the remaining before we start to build. That's the plan. It's also more of a long term investment Mm -hmm. and less of all these like selling stuff because in the grand scheme of things, China has a wide variety of things. So if I'm selling something that another person is selling for half the price, probably mine will not be selling as Mm. much, but my quality would be better. But people don't have that much of a disposable income to be able to be like, you know what, I'm going to buy this at double the Mm. price. And the people that can afford it would rather go to the place where I'm buying it and buy it themselves. So that's where the challenge is. That's why I don't want to diversify into selling stuff or doing stuff like that. I'm more into still offering a service, but with a twist. And then I'm also working on another pet project of mine, which is to build a resort. Mm, that sounds yes. super exciting. You've got all or kinds of projects rat. going, don't you? I do. I have like so many projects going. And a lot of it is trying to diversify my income. Mm. So that I'm not stuck in one place. To be honest, whenever you don't have a client, these are things that can keep you busy. 
Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, the resort is something that I'm also trying to work on for this year. Oh, wow. And it's more like a, a beach club. So there'll be people that do memberships and then people that would just come to use the place. I and see you. Your money be coming, coming. Okay. Yes. I see yes. you. So <laughs> that's kind of what I want to do next. And then I kind of realized, like, I've been watching the trends. I mean, I've been in Nigeria five years mm -hmm. now. And I've been watching the trend that hospitality is where the money it is. Really Restaurants. Is, yeah. And people have just figured out that the beach, we have beaches everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I have to capitalize on it because this December, I kid you not, I'm pretty sure restaurants and hotels and clubs and beach houses and things like that have made all the money they need for the year yeah. in just one month. Yep, that's how it goes. So I feel like I'm missing out on these things if I keep saying to myself that, you know, I'm going to wait to do it. I'm going to wait. No, mm -hmm. I've given myself a deadline of December <laughs> to at least have one of them open. Mm -hmm. And then that way I can also cash and in. You can test it out. Yeah. Yep, I see you. So get some mm -hmm. suya going. So get something going. Yep. Get some kind of music going. Mm -hmm. Just get yep. some kind of fun activity going on the outside. Mm -hmm. Get a few yep. chalets going, you know, some groupie yeah. type activity. Yeah. You, you get girl, it. You I'm get with it. you. I can plan this with you, girl. I'm here. I am here. <laughs> Consult from afar. I am so in I it. Know. Like obviously, you know, I'm doing construction as well, which I kind of fell into through my dad. And at the same time, I realized that clients would rather pay to build it than pay to design it. Mm. So money is there because mm -hmm. it's one thing to be on paper. It doesn't mean anything till it's built. Yeah. So they would rather put all their money in the construction than in the designing. Yes. So the whole design and build community is growing. And I realized there's no reason for me to be excluded from it. Mm -hmm. So I'm also venturing into that. Why not? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've already got a leg in with, with the family, yeah. why not check it out? See how mm -hmm. that's going. Yep. That's always good to have. Mm -hmm. mm, awesome. So I have plenty of hustles. Plenty. plenty. I'm with you. With you. So tip four, which is the final tip of this episode, is the difference between an interior decorator and interior designer. So a decorator can't, which is cannot, affect changes to the built form of a building. They can only make the space look aesthetically beautiful. An interior designer, on the other hand, can make indoor spaces functional, safe, and more beautiful by determining space requirements and selecting essential and decorative items such as color, lighting, and materials. So they must be able to draw, read, and edit blueprints which a decorator cannot do so you do not need a degree to be a decorator but you definitely need a degree to be a designer so that's something to note and something you definitely need to take into consideration when you say oh my interior designer is just like so expensive well you're paying for the degree honey you're paying for the degree okay let's jump back into the episode so I wanted to just kind of continue on still understanding the picking of a client. Okay. So we, we didn't complete that. Yeah, so we said budget, size of the project, the client's commitment to the project, the creative license. How much freedom do I have? If you're going to stand over my shoulder the whole time, I'm not going to take your project because you're you might as well do it yourself. Then the rate at which the client pays you, 
So if you say, okay, you're going to pay me monthly, if it works for you, that's fine. And if that's something you want, that's fine. But then to come back and, you know, change your mind and say, oh, okay, instead of paying you monthly, I'm going to pay you quarterly. Uh-uh. That wasn't the agreement. <laughs> and then the last thing is just the vibe I get from them, you know, because there's some people that are very sweet and very nice and just amazing that you want to work for them or just even maybe people that you've dreamt of working for or working with, not even for their project, but mostly maybe they can mentor you in life or maybe you've seen their work ethic and you're just like, I want to know how you're doing it. And the only way into your work is to work for you, to do something for you. Because when you meet with them, over time, they throw in those gems where they're like, oh, for your business, instead of doing it like this, do it like this or this and this, you know, things that you typically won't get from them if you go to their office and you sit in front of them. But over time, you know, you develop a rapport with them and then they call you for the littlest things and are like, I want to change my dresser. And then from changing the dresser, they'll start, how is business? How is work? What is going on with you? How are you doing it? And then you share your ideas with them and they're like, oh, don't do it like that. That won't work. Do it like this. Or, you know, it then moves from work relationship to friend relationship. And those kind of people, they will be the first person to tell everybody about your work and to yeah. call people and tell people I know someone I know someone yeah. who can do this so I get that vibe from some clients and it's just amazing hmm. and then there's some people that you know that they're ready to cheat you out of everything oh yes so they will tell you yeah I'll give you this job contingent on you finishing it to give you another one no I'm I don't want your other one let me hmm. finish this one first then you can come at me with your other project later, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So those kind of people, I tend not to take their jobs because you know they're not going to pay you complete. And they're going to mm-hmm. hinge your payment on you taking the next one and then carry on the cycle. That's how I basically choose clients. Mm. I try not to be judgy because you never know where you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. And no project is too small for me. I like mm. to say that because like, even something as small as a built-in cabinet for someone's study is mm. not too small mm. because that's something I didn't have in my portfolio before. Mm. And it's all about building your portfolio. It's all about having enough pictures and enough things to show people that you've done. Mm. So if it's one room or one bathroom or even just one small thing, it's one picture you didn't have before. Mm. And you never know. You learn from everything and then you can come there. And then when you get there, they're like, let me pick your brain. What do you think? As much as I hate to do it, some people are like, okay. Because they'll be like, I'm thinking of doing work there. So you market yourself. You'd be like, oh, give them vague ideas without giving them the whole sketch. Mm. And then they'll call you and be like, you remember that thing we we talked about where we said that, you know, I wanted to do X, Y, Z. I'm ready now. You want to come and do it? You know, so then you have another job. Hmm. Without having to actually like fully market and sell your idea. Because when you give them big ideas, they kind of like where you're going. Yeah. But they don't know how to achieve it. Hmm. So they're waiting for you to come back and give them that thing that you said that you can do. Yeah. Win-win. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Shokpe, thank you so much yes. for coming on the show. Um, thank you for having me. And please let the audience know where we can find you. Okay. My Instagram handle is at Niffy Design, N-I-F-F-Y Design. Same thing for the website, www.niffydesign.com. 
Shakwe was such a delightful guest to have on the show. And as you can hear on the podcast, it was such a pleasure to have her on. She was so great and so honest about her experience, as you heard. And um, as you can see, she had such experience and she was very practical in her way of showing all the things that she experienced and very, very thorough in her approach to being an interior designer. Now, she went through the process of, you know, she started off as, you know, in medicine and then worked her way through into interior designing. So it's not, it doesn't always have to be cut and dry. You know, you can swap it from one to the other. And the takeaway that I want you to have in this process is that you don't always have to follow one thing right through to the end. You always have choices. You know, I started off, you know, as a child wanting to be a financial advisor. Funny story. Um, Later on in life, it progressed to multiple things. I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to do all kinds of things. And I ended up doing hospitality, which is a joy. And then later on, look at me now, I'm doing podcasting. Um, So you can do anything you want to do. And for me, interior designing is such a pleasure um, to hear how beautiful it is. And if you're creative, if you know that this is something that sparks your interest, I suggest you, you pursue it if it's something you want to do. You know, everyone has multiple talents in them and it's something that anybody can pick up and look at and see if it's for you. Think about some of the things that we've mentioned in in the little parts of, of the show as well. You know, look at work experience. Look at, you know, trying some of the games that we mentioned. Just look at different things like that and see what works for you, okay? Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you found any of the information helpful in any way, please don't forget to rate the episode. Please subscribe to the podcast and please share with anyone you think might enjoy the episode or the podcast. Um, You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is lollies with an S at the end dot secrets with an S at the end as well. And there will be information in the show notes as well for you to have a look at. Thank you so much for listening and take care. Ciao.